This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 2? When we started this thing called Conduit, we never thought we would end up where we are right now. The people here rise to the occasion. We don't cower back, but are a people of action. When there's a crisis, that is when we are at our best. A relevant church may not be essential, but an essential church will always be relevant. Essential means that if you are a church and you are not here next week, that people's lives are literally on the line. When you are saving addicts and freeing slaves, feeding people and serving others, then you become essential. Does the church need to have a mission? Or did Jesus' mission need to have a church? So that's the series that we're on, and what better way to start this morning than telling a story about Kevin Hart? (laughs) Am I right, people? Look, Kevin Hart makes me laugh almost harder than any comedian on the planet. Does anybody else feel this? Like, I I know he needs his mouth washed out with soap sometimes, but, but he makes me laugh, like belly laugh. And you throw him next to the rock, and it's over for me. Like big guy, little guy humor, that is still relevant even today. And I don't know like, if the woke crowd's gonna cancel me for that, but look, if loving big guy, little guy humor is wrong, I don't wanna be right. Do you know what I mean? Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger, anybody remember that? Like, that's comedy gold. So, Kevin Hart, when he was a young comedian, he had just selling shoes. He was trying to figure out how to be a comedian. And his mother had invested so heavily in him. He, he came from a, a lot of people. He came from a, a home of a single mom. And in the early days before he broke, you know, big, he was broke, big. He was broke, broke. And he got to a point where he was out of money for rent, like he was broke. And so calling his mother, who loves him, his mother who has helped him before financially, and asking for money, and he's like, Mom, I'm out of money, what am I gonna do? Um, They're gonna evict me, and she said, Kevin, have you read your Bible? And he's like, Mama, I don't wanna read my Bible, I need rent money. Kevin, you need to read your Bible. She hung up, he called a couple days later, the same thing, Kevin, have you read your Bible? He had not read his Bible. This happened multiple times until he finally is like, Mom, I need, I'm literally going to get evicted. I need this. Kevin, have you read your Bible? And finally, like a good son, he listened to his mama. He picks up his Bible, opens it up, and out falls seven months' worth of rent checks that his mother had put in there waiting for him to pick up his Bible. Here's what Kevin's mama knows. 
Here's what your mama knew, some of them. The rent check might have saved his apartment, but the Bible was going to save his life. And that is what this church in the book of Acts knew. They knew that being devoted to these four things in chapter four or chapter two, verse 42, being devoted to those four things, that everything else works itself out. And if you've got your Bibles out, I want to read to you those verses. It's Acts 2, verse 42. And we're going to read through verse 47. And you might as well put the little corner fold on your, your Bible page because we're going to be here for a few weeks. But it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, verse 46, they continued to meet together in the temple court. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord, here's your truth. You're looking for a church growth plan, like throw out the consultants, throw out the the postcard mailings and the radio ads. The Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. This vignette right here is the quintessential model for what an essential church is. Because this church was taking brothers and sisters this was dropping out its microphone every other sentence. <laughs> this church was loving their neighbors. They were praying for each other. Miracles were happening. Literally, lives were being changed. But they were not devoted to verses 43 through 47. Verses 43 through 47 happened as a result of being devoted to verse 42. If you will devote yourself to the essential, you become essential. And in the kingdom of God, what is essential is not a rocking worship band. It's nice. Don't get me wrong. What's essential in the kingdom of God isn't this big TV behind us. It's great, but it's not essential. What's essential are these four things. And when you break them down, this is what this whole series is going to be for these next few weeks. The, the apostles' teaching. Like it's not, it's the word of God. It's the word of God in a group setting where we're learning the word of God together. It's fellowship. Not just hanging out in accountability groups, but literally in each other's lives, getting each other's back. The breaking of bread, which is a Jewish idiom for communion. It's the gospel essential in our lives. And prayer, communicating with God himself, those four things. Anything else in a church, that's nice, it's gravy, but it's not essential. And when we focus on these things, the result is verses 43 through 47. 
When we get it backwards is when I focus on the signs and the wonders, right? That's nice, it's lovely, but you focus only on that, you're gonna burn yourself out or burn yourself down. If you are focused only on uh, giving to the poor, selling your stuff, forcing other people to do that, that's called socialism and you will burn yourself out. This whole list of things, if you just get on one of these, in these lists of things in here, you could focus on it and it will warp you and it will change you. But if you stay focused on these four things, Man, the kingdom of God just becomes so simple. And the next four weeks, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to start today with the apostles' teaching, with the word of God. So we're already there in Acts 2, 42. If you are with us online today, we want to welcome you. Thank you. And Brian Redmond, I don't know if you're watching right now, but no, we prayed for you and Shelly first service. For those of you who are here, one of our very own, uh, Brian is sitting in uh, Vanderbilt right now waiting on uh, either God's going to give him a new heart or a surgeon's going to give him a new heart. But one way, that dude is walking out of there with a new heart. God has a plan and a purpose, and I totally believe that. Uh, for those of you that are gathering in your homes or vacation, we're just super glad that you're here. Bible's out as well for us today. Uh, and for those of us here, keep your Bibles open there to the book of Acts 2.42, because what I hope that you walk out of here today with is the realization that this, this Bible, this Word of God, isn't just some book. Like, the the Word of God, the teaching of God's Word, understanding God's Word is so important that people in Iran will risk their very lives to do it. Nobody's risking their lives for Ayn Rand, you understand. Nobody's risking their lives to get together to study Moby Dick. But they're getting together to study and to understand this because they know something about the Word of God that the people in Acts chapter 2 understand about the Word of God that you and I desperately need to understand about the Word of God and what it means to come together and to teach it and to understand it and the power of it. And for this morning, I want to show you an understanding of the Word of God will bring awe and bring wonder, like what we just saw here, like at the miraculous things. It brings generosity when we come together at the Word of God. It, it literally brings us into a place where we're generous with each other, and it will bring you into a place where ultimately you and I, man, we are just in a perfect, glorious unity together. The simplicity of coming together just to study and to understand God's Word. So the idea of it brought awe, that's verse 43, right, right in front of us there. They came together. They, saw, they were in awe at what was happening when they saw the miracles and the signs and the wonders that were happening to them when they saw the apostles and what was happening with the miraculous after they were devoted to the word. Uh, many people in our world ask the question, why don't we see that stuff that we see in other countries over here? Have you ever wondered that? Like, wondered, man, I've seen crazy miracles happen. And Mark and Victoria Bowling were here last week, second service, and literally the week before, they're in Pakistan, and a dude gets out of a wheelchair and just walks home carrying a wheelchair on his back. Like, the, the blind person in the village walked out. It was just crazy. 
Why do they see that there and we don't see it here? I wonder, conjecture, if it's because here we get more devoted to seeing signs and wonders, there they're devoted to the Word of God. Like, if you are enjoying, if you are partaking of, if you are coming together at the very risk of your life to get together to understand the Word of God together, if that is you, you are devoted to God's Word. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, that's speaking of a saving faith. But there's a truth in that, that someone who is devoted to what Jesus has to say, I mean, the apostles teaching, what were they teaching? They were teaching the words of Jesus. They were teaching the word of God. They were helping it to make sense. And that devotion of them coming together, man, it... All I know is stuff happens when that happens. I, I want to be careful not to make it sound like a religion where now if you'll just read the Bible eight hours a day, now you can see miracles. This is 100% not what I'm saying. What I am saying is if you are devoted to God's word, you're devoted to him, and you never know what God's going to do with someone devoted to him. It's just wild how he moves on behalf. But it's important that what I wanted to say is that it's not just, it is important that we're reading it, right? 100% important that you're in this word. But it's just as important that you're coming together in some kind of a setting together to take the word in together. Now you might think that's me making a play to shame you to get to church every Sunday. It's not. Remember, the gospel is not shame on you. It's shame off you. I don't care if you go right across the street to Nathan Collar and Graceland Assembly of God, go up the street to Charlie Weir at Gateway, Bobby Harrington at Harpeth, some place. You know, Tammy posted a photo where there's a bunch of ladies all just piled in this room studying the word together. Find places to do that together. I mean, Kat's been doing Bible studies with her ministry online. Like, like find places, but when you're coming together to study the word, wherever that is, a devotion to it brings miraculous things over time. There's a lot of things in our life that we have lots of opportunities to be devoted to, but you got 24 hours in a day. And my question would be, is it important enough for you to find five minutes of it to just be devoted to the word? Could you find one day a week a Tuesday night, a Thursday morning, where you're coming together with a group of Jesus people and getting in the word together. You see, the thing that, the thing is this, this last year we learned something very specific, that there is power when humans come into a room together to learn something. We, we learned it because our public schools that have been closed down, and there are some public schools that are still closed to this day, and it is a disgrace, and it is a blight on our nation of cowardice. Even the New York Times has finally had to admit it was a fiasco. 
because a child or an adult sitting alone in a room staring at a screen doesn't work. We know this. We knew this before. And to that end, do you wonder, is there any reason why, if you're the enemy, and by the way, when I say something like this, I want you to hear me say, uh, government officials, epidemiologists, they're just doing the best they know how to do. Doesn't mean they're right, but I don't want to demonize them. And I also want you to hear me say, they might know everything there is to know about biology and they know absolutely freaking nothing about the human soul. Because when the human souls are separated and drawn away, what we're seeing, and we're gonna pay for this for decades in emotional health, in suicide, in addiction, in relapse, in God only knows what, because we were as humans designed to be together just in general, and then this supernatural thing that God says we need to do, not only just in the natural of how you're designed to do, but now there's a supernatural thing that's gonna happen in the middle of it. Is there any wonder why one of the main targets of getting separated was of churches? Is there any wonder why a helicopter is flying over Alberta, Canada, looking for a church gathering in the woods like it's North Korea? And now I would ask you this question. Could you have the same courage as the Christians in Canada? Could you have the same courage as the Christians in Iran who have suffered the same consequences, the same consequences as the Christians in Pakistan to say, come get me, come take my house, take my home, but I am not going to stop gathering together as Jesus people. Take it all. I heard a pastor say his wife told him, I'd rather be married Actually, she said this, I'd rather be a widow than married to a coward. Which I think was something what Shannon was saying to me a few months, when I, when I was kind of whining about going to Haiti, and I was like, oh, I don't, I don't want to get kidnapped or nothing. I was kind of like trying to get the, you know, the, the pity card, and I, which I was getting none of. So like, no, that's where God told you to go. You're immortal this side of heaven until God's done with you. There was another way of saying I'd rather be a widow than married to a coward. Here's what I know. The power of us coming together, something happens. And, and I'm not talking again, just in rows on a Sunday morning. I, please, 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 please hear me say that. Okay? Little church in a living room, a little church across the street, a, a little church in here down the hall. Like, in fact, sometimes the bigger we get, the more complicated it is. And that's one of the reasons we're even having this conversation these next few weeks is that this cannot change what God has called us to do out there. And it starts with us coming together, gathering in the word of God. And I just cued the wrong thing, didn't I? This brand new technology stuff is literally... <laughs> I'm so bad at this. Can we edit this out? <laughs> Look, the sense of awe is what comes together when people gather together like this. And the thing that it does as well is then it brings us together, not just in awe and in wonder because God does miraculous things, but it also moves us into a form of inspiration for generosity. You see, that thing that he was, I, I can't really see this, so I'm going to just get to the one. 
that I'm supposed to get to. <laughs> We're going to edit all of this out. There we go. I'm back on track, baby. They were all together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. When you come together, okay, now we're in the word of God and we're coming together in it. It's this weird thing that happens now that we're together as God's word is going through us together that you begin to not only see the needs of those around you, it's happening literally in our church right now. Brian Redmond texted me from Vanderbilt University last night and said, man, I have felt so loved in this last week by this church. I had another family say that you, normally when you're in a major crisis, your circles get smaller, but for some weird reason here, it's gotten larger. And gang, that is kudos to you as a church. That's the way that it was meant to happen. And when you come together in the word together, it just does this weird thing where it makes you aware of the needs around you and the responsibility to do something about it. I've seen it happen hundreds of times in the last 10 years in our church family alone. And the word of God is what has motivated it to happen every time. Like I'm literally, I'm looking around the room and I can see people's faces that I know that no one else knows what you did when you helped somebody. When I was a, a, a kid, I was the, when did the Atari come out? Was that like 81? Whenever it was. Here, you kids and your call of duty, let me tell you what, you never had Pong, okay? You never sat and looked at a black and white TV with a couple of sticks, paddles, and trying to battle it out. That's all I wanted for Christmas was that. My dad was unemployed. My mom didn't have a job. We were living on government assistance. We had the conversation yet again at the Tyler house. We're probably not going to have a good Christmas. We're sorry. All the other kids were getting like the Sony Walkmans, and I got like the Sanyo or whatever the piece of crap that, you know. They, but, but that year, when the Atari came out, I was like, oh, man, I just wanted an Atari so bad. And one day... My mama opened the mailbox, and in the mailbox was an uh, envelope, and it was actually cash, as I recall, and in that little envelope was $300, which in 1980, whatever that was, was a lot of money when minimum wage was $3 an hour. You guys whining about your $9 an hour. You haven't lived until you got your paycheck for $28 after working a whole week, but we... <laughs> Yeah, I, we got an Atari that week. And you know why we got an Atari that week? Because this little group of Jesus people came together in the Word and somebody heard from the Lord and dropped $300 on the front porch of the Tyler house. I, to this day, don't know who it was. They gave to each other. They sold things. They were motivated. But I want to be very clear to tell you that it isn't just... Socialism, Marxism progressivism, a lot of what we hear, they will take a verse like this and try to make this a government program, a forced program, instead of a Holy Spirit-inspired moment. That is just as dangerous inside of a church as it is inside of a government. And here's what I, I would give credit to this person if I could remember who said it, but here's what I heard. Activation without encounter is social justice. 
If we go to verses 45, okay, and that's all we're doing is just that. We're activating it, activating. We're going we're gonna to feed. We're gonna, you will burn yourself out. You will fry yourself. You will force people. You will shame people to make them do something because you have not had an encounter with God's people and God's word and God's spirit. And on the other hand, if it's just encounter without activation, it's entertainment. If all we did this morning was, this was very great, by the way. It was Rebecca St. James for crying out loud. Anybody notice that? Thank you, Rebecca. Actually, Libby was up there, man, blowing the doors off the place. Adam Nitty, David Rollins. Like, our worship is amazing. And if all you did this morning was walk away with amazing worship, that was great entertainment. And here's the challenge of that. If that is all you get, entertainment and social justice lead to entitlement on both sides, both ditches. Neither of them lead to transformation. Only an encounter with activation brings about kingdom transformation. You've got to have both. And the way that you get both is being devoted, coming together to the word of God, having an encounter with him, with his word, with his people in here. And so nobody, I mean, have you ever noticed even in here, we don't pass an offering bucket. We don't do the offering sermon. Nothing wrong with those things. But we just figure if you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, you'll be activated. You don't need me to beat you over the head or shame or guilt you. Just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And that's what the word of God does. And I'll say this one more thing about that. This whole Bible study thing that we started all those years ago. I mean, I remember back in my younger years. I mean, Brian Lord was part of that. Like we'd have these artists in the 90s that were like, actually had a pretty firm foundation in the word, right? You, had, you know, I mean, Krista, right? Grew in the church, knew the Lord. And, but by the mid-2000s, there were a lot of young artists who grew up in these, uh, like a seeker-sensitive thing or the relevant thing. And so, man, they knew the great songs. They knew the great uh, exciting sermons, but they didn't know the word of God. So you'd have a conversation with somebody who was saying, yeah, can I really want them to, to bring the gospel? And I'm saying, you really don't want them to do that. You'd rather them just shut up and sing and let the professionals do the heavy lifting because they had grown up for 20 years without any foundation in the Word of God together. So we just started this little Bible study, and part of the goal was, hey, I just wanted, you know, if you don't know the difference between Jonah and Noah, I appreciate both of them involve an ocean, but they're completely different stories. And you can laugh, but I had that conversation with a guitar player in the back lounge of a bus going, wait, you know that Noah did not get eaten by a whale, right? You know that? He did not. But it wasn't his fault because they didn't talk about that. They didn't know the scarlet thread of the gospel that Jesus is on every page. So that's what we did. That's literally our only goal was to study the Bible. And as the Bible went through me, I began to change. And suddenly I'm looking at verses about helping the poor and the powerless and the marginalized and those who are in need and the least of these brothers of mine and the faith that I had grown up in had skipped over those verses and I'm suddenly now, we're awakening to this whole thing. And the, when you go through the Bible together, 
it changes you in profound ways and your heart will change. And that's the last thing that I want to say about it is this, that it is important when you do it together because when you're doing it together, we are all now changing together in the same ways. Like this group, like God might have a mission for the people at Church of the City that's different than our mission. That's totally fine. It's totally biblical. But our mission, what we're called to do as we sit here and we hear stories of what God is doing and he's chipping away this piece of my heart and he's chipping away this piece of your heart, he's literally in that moment, putting us all onto the same page. And what it says is that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread, ate together, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. Notice who they did not enjoy the favor of, by the way. Government, elites, the powerful. They did, they, they did not enjoy the favor of those because this threatens that. So if you're being oppressed by giant billionaire media organizations, powerful politicians. If you're being oppressed by that, don't be surprised because this separates that. This threatens their power. It's why Jesus got killed. He threatened their power. So don't be surprised if that happens. But you understand Twitter is not the real world, right? I keep having to remind myself of that. The people in our world, the people in Asia, the people in Africa, the people in South America, in Haiti, that are receiving what you all have done for them, I promise you, you are growing in favor with them. You're growing in favor with this community because we are now unified into the mission that God has called us to do. And when we're all going through the word, through the same part at the same time, there's just something to be said about that. And when I say this, there's a solid chance that some of you in here right now might be feeling an enormous amount of guilt and shame because you missed a lot of church. Can I give you some good news? Shame is not from God. That's not from him at all. Now he might be convicting you. But if all you hear from me is you gotta be in church, <laughs> in church every time the doors are open, right? Remember when you, I don't know if you were a kid, Wednesday morning, Sunday morning, Sunday night. I mean, Rob was a pastor's kid. You probably had to be there way more than that. That's not what I'm talking about even a little bit. What I am talking about is the idea of what it means to be devoted to something. I am devoted to Shannon. And what that means is that I make decisions that sometime I don't do what I want to do, not because she's burdensome, because she's, I love her. I'm devoted to her. I, one of the translations, gave themselves over to. And here is how, here's where the power of that comes from in our lives. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus didn't come with a new set of policies and procedures and regulations and things you got to sign off on. No, he became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now that word in Greek is the word logos. And I know immediately when I say that, some of you winced because you said, oh no, Darren, it's pronounced logos. 
And if I would have said Logos, there are people who go, oh no, Darren, it's pronounced Logos. So you understand I'm gonna lose-lose here. So I'm just gonna say Logos and offend half of the room. I, I, I don't know, it seems like it's pronounced both ways. But the word Logos was not a word that Jesus made up, not a word John made up. It's a word that if you look in ancient Greek philosophy, Plato, Aristotle, their idea was that if you could discern this meaning from the universe, this hard to understand meaning, if I could figure that out, discern it, if I could understand it, then I would understand the logos of life, the meaning of life. So when John said the logos became flesh and dwelt among us, he was making a very specific claim that the way that you can understand life, the universe, the entirety of what we're here is to not understand politics, to not understand left versus right, but to understand that Jesus Christ, God became flesh, dwelt among us. And not only did he dwell in us, around us, but then he died for us, resurrected on the third day for us, the firstborn, so that we might then rise again with him someday. That is the logos, that is the word of God that became flesh. And so my devotion to this word is because I want to know who he was, what he said, how he thought, and the only record we have of it is right here. No wonder the governments of the world would do whatever they could to stop this from getting across their borders. No wonder the culture of Western culture would say, okay, we can't keep you from getting enough of them, we're gonna give you too many of them, and so now it's not gonna mean anything anymore because you got them everywhere. There's just too many of them. Or we're gonna use language like, well, it's evolving. It's, it's progressive. This is the best they understood at that time. Now we know more. And I just need to say this, that if that's your belief, I don't wanna hurt or disrespect you, but that is intellectually untenable. This is the only record we have of what Jesus said and did. You have to say if that's what you're saying and that's where you're at, at least acknowledge and admit that you're making something up because there's no other record of it. And the good news is that we know that this is trustworthy, that this is exactly as it was written, that there is no discrepancy. Thousands of people have looked at all of these manuscripts. It is exactly as it was then. We can trust that this is exactly how it was. And now we're then faced with the question of is it true or is it not? And I would take the words of a man who said he was God who was crucified and buried and resurrected on the third day. If that's you and you've done that, I actually am gonna listen to you. I feel like you might have something to say that I need to listen to. I'm gonna take the word of that person way beyond anybody who's got an MDiv from Vanderbilt University. The word of God and our devotion to it has nothing to do with me being more disciplined and more this and more that, but understanding the gospel and out of that my devotion to him. Because the question is, 
Why is it that brothers and sisters in Iran will literally risk their lives and risk everything to come together and study this? Why is it, I wanna show you a quick video clip, many of you have probably seen it online that have floated around, of Chinese Christians for the very first time getting a Bible. What do they know about the Bible that you don't know? What do they understand about the scriptures that I don't understand? And maybe today the Lord can begin to give you that devotion. I mean, I'm not asking you to risk your life. Maybe I'm just going to ask you to risk your Tuesday night for a Bible study. (laughs) Ask you to risk maybe one less time to the lake this year and to church on a Sunday to gather in the word. Maybe one less here. I'm not asking you to do anything other than just to look at your schedule and say, where am I devoting my time and my hours and is there a time that I can now devote to coming together with other brothers and sisters to grasp the scriptures together? That's a question you can answer. It's a question that you can look at I don't know what Bible studies are out there. I know that, I mean, Tammy can post the one that she's going to. They're all over town. People are studying the scriptures. People in your own homes. We have small groups that James has been working very hard on, or people coming together. Don and Holly Plotz, if you're in your 20s, they're meeting on Sunday nights in their home, studying the Bible. James and Becca have uh, 18 to 20-year-olds on Sundays meeting and studying the Bible in their homes. Uh, Your children right now back there with Joey are learning more about the Bible than I knew most of my entire life in just one Sunday. There is a very important reason why we focus on this, because Jesus did, and we believe that it is not just some academic exercise, it's a supernatural communication that when we come together, supernatural things happen in our lives. Next week, we're gonna talk about fellowship and what that looks like, and what it means. We used to call the Conduit Commons the Fellowship Hall until Pastor Lafleur in Haiti referred to relations between a husband and wife as fellowship. You know what I mean? Okay, I know what you mean. I know we're changing the name of that. (laughs) But understand this, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Romans 15, when Paul was taking an offering, giving to those who were in need in Jerusalem who were saints, he said, I'm sending you this gift, and you know what he was sending them? It says I used the exact same word, fellowship. It's so much more than sitting in a circle in an accountability group. It's literally locking arms together in the good and the bad. So that's what we're gonna talk about next week. I encourage you 
you can be here to be here and encourage you this week in these next few days, find that moment to devote yourself to the word. Would you stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you the praise. We give you the glory. We desire so much to be the essential church. Not just because we say so, but because it's true. Lord, I know right now there are believers in India, there are believers in Pakistan, there are believers in Nepal. Lord, I know there are believers sitting in this room that understand exactly that this gathering has been essential. And I'm so proud of my brothers and sisters for having the courage to lean forward into this this week. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.